0: Well, happy All Saints Day to you all. This is the day where we celebrate and remember the saints, those who have gone before us and those who um, still are with us, which would be you and me. Now, for many of us, when we talk about All Saints Day, they actually, the first thing that comes to our minds is the capital S saints, the big S saints, saints like... St Matthew and St. Luke and St. Paul, St. Augustine, St. Anne, St. Teresa. And of course, All Saints Day is about them, or more precisely, it's about Christ's work in them. but it's also about Christ's work in the lives of the faithful, Christ's work in faithful little S saints who day in and day out persevere through the power of the Holy Spirit, striving. For the goal of Jesus Christ. So on All Saints Day we remember and we especially remember the faithful men and women who have gone before us. Not to mention um, those who are, who are struggling for, to be faithful in the Lord now. We remember the big S saints and we remember the little S saints. So we remember St. Augustine and we remember Grandma. And we remember St. Anne and we remember your neighbor down the street, your cousin, your father, your mother. We remember them and the work Christ did in them as an encouragement to us, to continue them, that we might continue on to the goal, the goal of Christ Jesus that they have already achieved, that we might look at their lives and and imagine them in glory and strive for the same. So that's where I want to focus us in now on All Saints Day, is this journey to the goal, journey to the goal of the presence of God. We're going to look at that through the lens of Psalm 24, the psalm we read this morning. So at this point, I would encourage you to pull out your Bibles. Maybe you brought one. If you brought it, we're on Psalm 24. If you're using the one in front of you, the red book in your pews, it's page 392. Psalm 24, page 392, if you're using your Bible. If you're using the church's Bible, excuse me, and on many levels, this psalm is about um, obtaining the presence of God, it's about a journey into the presence of God. And you see this throughout the psalms, they're big on um, imagery of place and location, and you certainly see it in this psalm. Um, you talk about The location of God um, in creation, as God is the creator of creation, and and who can ascend? Right in the second stanza, who can ascend the hill to God? Or the third stanza, we have this great passage about the Lord of Hosts entering the city. It's all about movement and location and becoming in the presence of God. The psalm is probably written by King David, but we don't know for sure. Um, but but we're you know we're probably ninety percent sure it's written by King David. It was used in the liturgical life of Israel, probably to commemorate the entrance of the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. We see this account in Second Samuel. The Ark of the Covenant had been stolen right by those evil and hated villains, the Philistines. And David, um, the Philistines' arch enemy, he defeated them and he retrieved the Ark. And now. Um, He was bringing it into Jerusalem. It was a great party and great celebration. And there's um, a famous scene of David dancing in his linens on the streets of Jerusalem, welcoming the Ark into the city. Why? Why the celebration? Well, if you remember the Ark of the Covenant, you'll remember this from Scripture or from the movie, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. The Ark of the Covenant was the very presence of God. The presence of God that had been with Israel in the wilderness, that had wandered around with them for all those many years, that had been been carried and paraded across the River Jordan into the Promised Land that was sitting in the tabernacle and now was being brought into the capital city, the city of David, Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant had arrived. So it was a great celebration. God was joining his people in his city. What an amazing celebration. And we have this psalm then sort of commemorating this the dwelling place of God with his people. An amazing thing. So, um, the, the three simple stanzas in this psalm we're going to look at, and it's laid out, it's pretty easy. The first one talks about the goal. It's the the glory of God. What what we strive for and what we long for. The second stanza talks about the reality of this journey. Who can ascend to those heights? And then the third stanza is the completion of the journey. And what we'll see is this less about man journeying to God and more about God journeying to man. So, we will begin. Psalm 24. Let's um, read verses 1 to 2. And what we'll see... As this stanza reflects on the greatness of the Creator God. Verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas, he has established it upon the rivers. When the author of this psalm, when David wants to reflect on the glory of God, where does he go? He goes to Genesis, he goes to creation. He says, look at this world God has made. What a great and glorious God. Now, he could reflect on other things. He could reflect on righteousness and holiness. He could reflect on judgment. He could reflect on God's defeat of enemies. He could reflect on miracles. But no. In this psalm, at least, the focus is on creation. This place, this habitation that God has made. He made creation, and then he took life, and he put life in the creation. So he made the earth, he made the seas, he put animals and plants on the earth, he put fish in the seas, and then he put man, the crowning achievement on all of creation, on the earth. And then God said what? It is what? Very good, right? Very good. And so the glory of God is seen in the greatness of creation. And so he's reflecting on God. The earth, this earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. This is the work of God. This is the work of Israel's God, of Yahweh, of the Lord. And David is just glorifying in that. I'm going to take a brief tangent. I think this is important. So step aside with me for a second. There are profound implications to this. Profound. If the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof, that means everything in creation belongs to God. It all belongs to God. All of it. The reality is that God has created all things good. We are the ones who make them bad. Now, this might be different than what you're used to. Certainly in the evangelical Christian world, which we're a part of, um, we we often see it differently. We think there are good things that we should pursue, and there are bad things that we should avoid like the plague. Good and bad, black and white, and there's a line down the middle. Stay away from here. Stay over here. You'll be all right. That's sort of the, the way we often think about these things. And it's a nice way to think of it because then we can blame other things. That is evil. That caused me to sin. It's his fault. It's that thing's fault. But here's the deal. God doesn't create bad things. He doesn't create bad things. We, on the other hand, we're very good and quite capable of making good things bad Okay, we can make good things bad all day long. In fact, that's really what we're we're, very—we're really excellent at that. That's our skill. Our sinfulness distorts the goodness of God's creation, and He makes it. We make it bad. Okay, it's us. It's our fault. It's our problem. And so, you know, you can take—I mean, any example of things, but just think about our, our sexuality and this gift that God has given us to enjoy. God created it good. He created it very good. And look at what we've done with it. Look at what we've done with it. Or alcohol, craft beers, they are delicious. But look at what we can do with them. And not just making bad beer, but, but, but our sinful hearts taking this gift of God and using it to our own destruction. Do you see that? It's not the beer's fault. It's your fault. It's mine. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so it led, well, it led the Apostle Paul to read this psalm and then quote it in 1 Corinthians and say, look, all this food, you know, God has given you dietary laws and restrictions to set you apart, but now through Jesus Christ you have been freed um, to live faithfully into Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so these foods that you're saying... Bad, they were only declared bad for your protection, but now through Jesus Christ, they're good because they were created by God. He quotes the psalm to make that point. And so it would lead um, philosopher Abraham Kupier to write this There is not one square inch of creation about which Jesus Christ does not cry out, This is mine. It belongs to me. Every square inch belongs to the Lord. Because in his glory, he created this world. He created it very good. Our sin has distorted us. Our sin has distorted God's creation. But one day, and we're going to talk about this later, one day it will be redeemed and restored. And so when the psalmist wants to reflect on the glory of God, he's actually reflecting on the place, that God created, this creation. So, um, remember, we're journeying into the presence of God, and the psalmist has reflected on the glory of God and the glory of His creation, and now he turns to to man, okay? We have this glorious God. Who can approach Him? And so we see verse 3 in Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in His holy place? Who can do that? Who can be in the presence of such a holy God? And he answers this question, verse 4 to 6. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, who does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Who... Can stand before the Lord. One who has a clean hands and pure heart. One who is not false or deceitful. He will receive the Lord's blessing. He will receive righteousness from the God of his salvation. Who can ascend? Someone who is good. Someone who is good and great and and holy enough to stand in the presence of, of this God. The problem is. The Old Testament, not to mention the New, is full of examples of people failing to get into the presence of God, failing miserably. So consider, um, I don't know, just for one, because of the imagery of going up to God. Do you remember the Tower of Babel, right, in Genesis? And all the people at the time were speaking one language, and they said, let's build a tower. Let's get to God. And let's show God how great we are and how awesome we are to get to him. And of course God looks down and he laughs. And he realizes that this is an evil people with evil intent. And so, so in this ultimate bit of irony, um, the God they're trying to reach comes down to observe their work. And he casts judgment on them, right? And he disperses them into many different languages and tongues. They fail. The, the, the evil in their heart and their evil motivations would not allow them to stand in the presence of God. So who, then, shall ascend the hind hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? How about King David? He's a man after God's own heart. He would have written this psalm at sort of the apex of his life. He had just brought the ark into Jerusalem. He had just stood before the Lord in 2 Samuel 7 and received promised that his lineage would sit on the throne of Israel for generations, for ages, in fact, forever? Certainly, David. But right, his hands weren't clean, were they? They were bloodied with the blood of Uriah. He was deceitful, right? An affair with Bathsheba. Who can stand Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand on that holy place? No one. You can't do it. You can't ascend. None of these people can ascend. None of the saints of God can ascend. No matter how how great they were, they they can't ascend before a holy God because they are sinful men and women. No one has access to the God who created the universe. And, And so we remember these saints, on whether the big S saints or the little S saints, and they've done some amazing and faithful things, and we want to rejoice in that and celebrate that, but we remember at the end of the day, even then, they fell short. They could not ascend the holy hill. And so in reality, no one, no, no, none of you have clean hands. None of you, none of us, that's a pure heart. We're all deceitful. We're all false. And thus, on the basis of our actions alone, no matter how great they may be, we cannot ascend the hill of the Lord. We cannot stand in his holy place. So how will this journey be complete? How is the, the saints have completed their journey? We know they've achieved their goal. How did they get there? Well, it's like this. Our journey is not complete with the ascent of man or woman to God. Our journey is complete with the descent of God to man. It's not us going up. It's God coming down. It is the condescension of God, through the condescension of God, that we, men and women, who know Jesus Christ, become saints. It is through the God who left heaven to come down to this earth that we can stand in the presence of the Holy God. Let's look at this last stanza. 7 to 10. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of Glory? The Lord of Hosts. He is the King of Glory. Do you see this imagery we have? Think of a triumphant army returning to the city. Think of this great shouts of joy, shouts of triumph. A king is approaching his city, and think of the guards standing up on the gates and the men. From below, the the warriors calling out to them, lift up your heads, gates, open up doors, that the king of glory may come in. And then the guards calling back to them from their posts, who, who is this king of glory that we left in, that we let in? It is the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. It is the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. The Lord of hosts. The very Lord that that created this world that we reflected on His glory in the first stanza, He is coming home to His city. He is coming to dwell with His people. Lift up the gates and celebrate because God is coming. And this coming of God, we see in this psalm that we remember in in 2 Samuel, is merely a shadow of this, the coming that was, was to happen. It's merely a preview of the coming of God in Jesus Christ. Because consider this. So, so the Ark of the Covenant goes in. Um, eventually Solomon builds the temple. And the Ark gets placed way, way in the middle. And it's pretty inapproachable. In fact, you can't go near it except for one priest on one day of the year after lots of cleansing ritual. He can come into the Holy Holies and approach the presence of God. And, and so, so God is with his people, but he's still kind of distant, right? This is a preview. This is a preview of God coming once and for all. Coming as a baby. Coming to become a a part of His creation and His Son, Jesus Christ. Open up the gates of creation. The Lord is coming. The Savior of the people has arrived. And Jesus has a clean hands. And Jesus has a pure heart. And Jesus gave up that on the cross so that we of unclean hearts, unclean hands, would know the salvation of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, through God becoming part of His creation. Lift up the gates, the Lord has come. But there's even more. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, right? And now He's ascended into heaven, and He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and, and, and he's in the presence of the saints that we're celebrating for sure. They're in the presence of Jesus Christ. And we, we see this image of Revelation. I think it's Revelation 6 where the, the saints are worshiping Jesus around the throne of God. This God, this glory, this heavenly host is coming back. Jesus Christ will return. The gates of creation will once again be opened up. And he will come and he will establish his reign and his rule on earth forever. And do you see that? The presence of God coming into his people. What an amazing vision that is. And on that day, as we read in Revelation, there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more suffering, but merely worship of the God of all creation, enjoying this gift he's given to us with no more sin, no more evil, and no more death. And so on this All Saints Day, we give thanks thanks for the presence of God with his people. And we look ahead to the hope of his return where we will join with the saints who have become before us, the saints who will come after us in the presence of God, that we might know his salvation and his joy and his glory. Let us pray.